0: I'd like to begin tonight with a teaching from Robert Aitken Roshi. How is the sound? Is that... Is it okay? Yeah? Okay, so a teaching from Robert Aitken Roshi. He is a uh, quite famous Zen master of this time. When you reflect on the infinite number of happenstances that coalesce to produce you, then you understand how unique, how precious, how sacred you really are. Your task is to cultivate that precious, sacred nature and help it to flower. This, to me, seems symbolic of what the spiritual journey is. To really honor this unique lump that is here, which could also be called the sacred flower, (laughs) and to help bring the conditions to it, to help it to blossom, to really move into the full potential of being a human being. But one thing that's really helpful to me in this quote is that it's pointing towards nature, And somewhere when I look towards nature, I can see, you know, with any plant, there's a process that, you know, first we have a seed, a seedling, we get sprouts pushing through the soil, a little plant comes into being, it grows, it matures, it strengthens, and at some point it flowers. And it's all a very natural process. And it's been so helpful to me, because when I come to uh, you know, my spiritual journey, there's always been this deep grasping or wanting for full enlightenment right now. And somehow this image just reminds me, whoa, slow down. There's a natural process here. There's um, conditions that can be cared for. There's something to care, uh, to bring extreme care and respect to, because we know if we plant uh, some plant and then try to force it to grow, it doesn't work. But if we take real care, have respect, you know, at certain times water, if we water too much, you know, in our our anticipation of what's going to grow, you know, it gets too soggy, moldy, it doesn't grow, you know, so... We really see that we have to honor what is. And so this has been very, very helpful to me. And so tonight I want to talk about a quality that really helps us to be present and accepting of the process that's unfolding. And this is the quality of patience. This journey that we're on can be so remarkable and deeply inspiring, awesome. And yet, at times, the terrain is pretty rugged, difficult. And so there is a real necessity to learn this aspect of care and respect. Because without it, you know, we will just drive ourselves into the ground. And I say that through experience, having, you know, seeing myself be fueled by grasping, be fueled by greed, wanting, you know, that craving. You know, and it seems so noble because it's tied up with what we call liberation, enlightenment. But... It isn't based in wisdom; it's coming from the wanting mind, and it really will take a lot to to learn to be with that, to distinguish the wholesome level of aspiration that just wants to be happy, to know truth, but to see where it gets tied in with the greed, the a sense of urgency that that. Um, is leaning forward you know the urgency that we can come in contact with can help us to be present here and now this is where the possibility is but sometimes it's you know driving us forward and it isn't helping us to be with what is but patience will assist us true patience The word in Pali is kanti, and it is one of these words that does not translate very readily into English, and the common translation is patience, but that, you know, due to our conditioning can often be uh, that we have a sense of being patient is where you grit your teeth and you bear it, and that's not what's being pointed to at all in the Buddhist teachings. That uh, in the Buddhist teachings, the word kanti has overtones of love, compassion, tolerance, acceptance, receptivity, gentleness. And it even has the suggestion of humility. So it's really a gentle forbearance that allows the mind to patiently endure, where the mind can remain relaxed, open, steadfast, even though we're facing difficulties, challenges. It really gives us the capacity to bear the unbearable. And I think it's for this reason that Trungpa Rinpoche, a Tibetan teacher, once referred to patience as grace. And it really feels like that when we encounter it. Many times, the learning of patience is a challenge. You know, it can often be the lesson that we're learning when we don't know what we're learning. But if we really look, we can often see that we're learning patience. I was once um, sitting in this doctor's office, and as is quite common, the doctor was running a little bit late. Then there was a mother sitting there with two young sons, you know, I'm not sure, maybe six and eight years old. And they were obviously getting agitated as they sat there and you know getting, the young one was getting really quite agitated and the mother was trying to keep them calm and I can't remember if she said anything what, what she might have said, but all of a sudden the young boy yelled out, "I don't have any virtue, I don't have any patience." <laughs> And, you know, I love children for how they just display the mind. (laughs) And, you know, it can be so hard to develop patience because we can't do it when things are going well. It only develops when we're in the rub of life, when we are faced with challenges. Some years ago when i first began teaching when i was thinking always thinking of what talk i would give next often i'd think oh i should give a talk on patience you know patience is a really good subject and i'd start the talk on patience and i'd never finish it <laughs> it took me 7 years to put together a talk on patience i just didn't have the patience to see it through <laughs> There's always the saying that we teach what we most need to learn. (laughs) I felt like that was really true for me. As we practice with meditation, it certainly will be a place that we develop patience. Without it, we wouldn't be here right now. You know, that at, on um, the first day, when just the settling-in process happened, and that often is uncomfortable, that it's um, you know, agitation in the body, agitation in the mind, sleepiness, restlessness, doubt, you know, the hindrances. When we come up against the hindrances, if we don't have patience, we're just out of here. You know, and that's, you know, often the reaction in life. If we don't have patience, something difficult happens, out of here. You know, we just check out in some way. We can't bear to be with that which is unpleasant. So as we come into retreat, it's going to be a quality that will support us. When it's present, we find that we just don't succumb to fear, anxiety, agitation. There's a willingness to stay open, to look. And this really comes about from holding a larger picture. You know, because with the impatience, there's the wanting of instant results. With patience, there's the awareness of the process. There's the seeing that there's something here to be learned. It, our culture really goes against us in the learning of impatience. I patience. No, it's, it's good at teaching us impatience. I came across this quote today that I really, um, you know, just deep, uh, shows this. How can a society that exists on instant mashed potatoes, packaged cake mixes, frozen dinners, and instant cameras teach patience to its young? From somebody named Paul Sweeney. that, That everything in our culture is the, you know, get it as quick as you can. And so, you know, we start to get programmed for that. And it really leads to a lot of Dissatisfaction, agitation, restlessness, you know, really feeds the wanting mind. (sighs) But patience helps us to stay in relationship with what challenges us whether these challenges are external. You know, it's easy to get impatient with other people, their actions, Uh, you know, whether it's in the world, driving a car, someone driving slow in front of us, whether it's walking down the hallway, somebody in front of us walking slow, going through the food line, impatience, whether it's waiting for an interview, there's great impatience, whether it's... um, With progress, what we call progress in our practice. Where we don't think we're getting somewhere as fast as we should be. And there's just this impatience with what is. So within the impatience we get entangled with it. You know, we really feed the underlying states that are there. The aversion, the frustration, the, the not wanting of unpleasant experience. And it just leads to more suffering. We can watch that at you know any time impatience arises in the mind and just see what a painful state it is when it's identified with. And then to feel the difference when patience is present, when we have that capacity for whatever reasons... To be with experience, even though it's not going the way we want. And you know, that's just so typical of retreats. They don't go the way we want, not according to our agenda. And then, you know, the common reaction is I should be doing a different practice. No, it's not the right time for me to be here on retreat. I'll come back, you know, sometime next year, things will be better. You know, we just make all these reasons where, you know, we just are having trouble being with what is. But if we can stay open when these challenges arise, we learn how to be relaxed, open, steadfast. And my sense of it has been we really learn how to be our own best friend. This is, to me, is one of the greatest gifts in in practice that has happened for me. To see that in the face of difficulty, one just doesn't abandon one's heart. That one sees, holds it in the picture. Yeah, this is hard. But is willing to look, to see, what's the entanglement that's happening here? Willing to let it be. Unpleasant. I was looking back over, you know, some of my own experiences in the learning of patience. And one particular time really comes to mind in in just that there was an immense learning. And this was one time when I traveled to Burma. And I went with the intention to ordain temporarily as a nun, which is something that is done uh, in the Theravadan tradition in Burma quite frequently, that for a period of time people will put on robes. And I, you know, this was going to be temporary, uh, but the inspiration for it came from just wanting to live the nun's life amongst these women who were so deeply committing their lives to awakening and living a real path of renunciation, simplicity, uh, and just wanting to see if there was anything that I could see from living that lifestyle that I could just bring back into my own daily life. I'd been to Burma a number of times before and had gone for intensive practice, but this time, I really wanted to go and live in a nunnery and just work with the nuns, just see how they lived every day. It seemed noble. <laughs> it seemed like a very noble aspiration. So I traveled over there, and I ordained. I first ordained with my teacher, uh, Chamney Sayada, or Sayada Ujjanaka. And it was very powerful. There was a sense of the inner and outer world being in alignment. Um, It was very strong. And then, not soon after that ordination, was the troubles began. (laughs) There was just a huge uh, mirror that was being held up by being in robes. And the sense of really wanting to honor the lineage and not to be the first person that came through that really... (laughs) Tard <laughs> the image. You know, And so really wanting to take care in how I practiced, what I did, what I said. Um, and just with that, seeing all of the yuck that comes up in the mind. And then traveling up to sagain Hills. This was the, the, where the nunnery was that I was going to go and stay in for a couple of months. And I had been to sagain Hills Um, some years before, it's a very beautiful part of Burma. There are a lot of monasteries, nunneries, pagodas, uh, just, you know, dotting the hillside, and then the beautiful Irrawaddy River runs by. It's breathtakingly beautiful. And when I had been there in the past, I had looked out over this area from a hilltop and just had this deep yearning to practice there. You know, because it had the sense that one could practice there, and you might just run into the Buddha. You know, it felt like it had stopped in time in some way. It wasn't so modern, and there were all these beings living, you know, very simple lives. So it was very inspiring, and, you know, had been a deep yearning to go back there. And so there I was, finding myself in robes, going there to practice. And so that, too, again, felt like like the living out of something of my dreams. Um, And then arriving up in Sagain Hills and first going to one nunnery and just feeling like the conditions were too hard. I wasn't going to be able to do it. There is not a whole lot of support for nuns in Burma but they actually you know, often have very difficult conditions. And you know, it was just this feeling like, whoa, I might be biting off more than I can chew here. So then I went to another nunnery. Um, and it, you know, it was more comfortable, conditions were a bit easier, um, and so just the settling in there. But then arriving with certain expectations that I could work side by side with the nuns. Well, they didn't want me to work side-by-side side with them. Because you know, if, it was, if they were chopping vegetables, they didn't want my hands to get smelly from the handling of the food. That they were really not wanting me to do work out of a sense of generosity. But you know, it, was, it started to alienate me. And then uh, every day when we would have the meal, I would sit alone in this room at a table Because they didn't want me to eat like they did sitting on the floor. And then sometimes there'd be big celebrations, and I could hear them off in the distance, you know, all eating together, celebrating, and I sat alone at my table. I started to feel quite lonely. And you know the, the loneliness was something that i wasn't used to, even though I traveled the world often by myself uh, it hadn't been a state of mind that i'd really been in touch with, and so you know the mind started to kind of tumble and feel sorry for itself, feel isolated my My days were quite simple you know I could listen to the nuns chanting a lot of them were they were uh, learning the suttas and they would be chanting them each day but they would be off in the distance I'd be alone in my kuti. Um, Many times I would be sitting and just starting to get concentrated and then someone would come and knock at my door and say come come and so I would go and I'd never know where I was going how long I'd be gone for. I didn't know whether I just needed to put on my shoes and be gone, whether I needed to take a shawl, a water bottle, no idea. Um, So I'd leave and then sometimes there'd be a car there or sometimes there'd be people, whatever. I didn't know what would be there. If there was a car there, I'd never know where the car was going. You know, it was just having to step in this place of, okay, (laughs) we're on a journey here. (laughs) Um, And... uh, and then there'd be other times where there'd be arrangements made. And you know, I would think, okay, at a certain time, we are going to get in a car, go to a certain place, the time would come and go, and nothing would happen. You know, there was just this whole aura of uncertainty, not knowing what was going on. And then you know, sometimes I'd be at a meal, and someone would come by and be wanting to teach me Burmese and they'd be trying to teach me how to say spoon and fork in Burmese. And I'd do my best, and I'm horrible at languages, and I would forget by the time I left the meal, and I'd get back to my room and I'd be screaming inside, what does this have to do with my enlightenment? This was not my plan. This was not what I anticipated. I was going to be a noble nun (laughs) who was just breathing in the Dharma. And this was not what was happening. And the, There was just endless things that happened. You know, I had struggled with the bugs. I, I, I struggled with their generosity. You know, they gave me so much food that it was overflowing in my room. And then the bugs were coming. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> uh, there was just... Immersion in difficulty, challenges. And then one day, I came across this quote. And it was so, you know, I remember just how I felt when I read it. That until we are fully liberated, there will be moments when we are caught in delusion. And it applied to me. Now, I was living with this expectation of being perfect, that I could do this perfectly. And that was so painful. And it was just like, oh. There's going to be moments of delusion where we don't see clearly. This is going to happen. And this we can learn from. It's part of this process. It helped me to give a bigger frame. And that's so helpful when we're caught in impatience. Because it's that instant result. Want it now. Whatever it is. Wanting to get rid of. Give it a bigger frame. On a recent trip that I did to Ladakh and Kashmir where I was trekking, and I became sick, Um, vomiting, (laughs) practice of vomiting (laughs) frequently, Uh, which led to a depletion of energy, was really a time when I could feel the value of patience. I could only walk up the mountains step by step. There was no fighting of this process. It was really unpleasant, but it just was what was happening. And when we can let that be what it is, I mean, I know in another time in my life, I would have been pissed, you know, <laughs> this is ruining my time. But instead there was just a sense of this calm forbearance to be with what is as it is. So it's really helpful to feel the difference between when we're caught in impatience and what that feels like and the times when for whatever reasons patience prevails. Just feeling the difference. Feeling the support that comes to be present through this calm, gentle, Forbearance. Shanti Deva, who was a great Indian a teacher from India, uh, who lived in the eighth century, he wrote the Way of the Bodhisattva, and he he speaks about. Um, patience and I love his teachings on patience because one of the things that really comes through is his compassion for the human predicament and how challenging it is and how this quality of patience is really what is like a bone, what is so beneficial And so he talks about there being three ways to strengthen patience. The first being to reframe our attitudes around discomfort. The second is to recognize and understand the complexity of the situation. And the third is by developing tolerance. So just to speak a little bit about each of these. The first being the reframing of the attitude around discomfort. That's I, I've been already been speaking some about this. That you know our knee-jerk response around discomfort can be to get rid of, impatience with, not wanting. Whereas when that is what's there, when there is discomfort, letting it be our teacher, letting it be what we can learn from. So it's giving it a different frame than that knee knee-jerk response. So we learn from whatever might be challenging, whether it's physical, mental, whether it comes through the interpersonal wor- world. You know, even our yogi jobs here can be a great place to at times learn patience. No, and it's it's just that willingness of heart where there is suffering to stop. Look. Listen feel, touch, to not immediately go into, there's something wrong here, this isn't right, this shouldn't be happening, can be anything from, you know, just the awareness of a very subtle form of agitation, to, you know, the full-blown hindrances that arise at times in our, both our life and practice. The reframing of it can be helpful to look at our attitude. What's our Is our attitude filled with not wanting this to be here? Needing to recognize that. Is our attitude filled with greed? Wanting to override, get something better? Having an interest its key, then we find that we're not destroyed or broken by unpleasant experience. We don't abandon ourselves in the face of difficulties and challenges there's a great Chinese proverb, one moment of patience may ward off great disaster, one moment of impatience may ruin a whole life. I mean, that's really the power of both patience and impatience. And so in the moments where maybe impatience has happened, and maybe we have lashed out in some way, you know, if we're impatient with others, we do things that, you know, can be harmful, hurtful, or we're lashing towards ourselves, being very brutal. Right there, can we learn from it? You know, not getting caught in guilt, um, you know, the embarrassment that this has happened, but just seeing this is painful. Can we learn from this? And then, you know, needing to forgive, let go, move on. So any time that you feel the rub in the course of your day, notice what the attitude is towards it. Can we reframe it so that there is this willingness to look, see, be with, And, you know, this will really help us in our lives when we run into things that really strongly irritate us, where there's huge levels of impatience. And we, we learn from the little places we encounter these difficulties. So the second point... That Shantideva made about patience and what strengthens it, is that of recognizing or understanding the complexity. You know, the challenge of being a human being, and that, you know, just in this being that's here right now, there's so many different conditions coming together. There is this karmic unfolding, and that it. It's so complex we can't always see, you know, why in a moment when somebody looks at us in a certain way, we just get so angry at them. Where, you know, in a you know, if we could see all the causes and conditions, it could have been that, you know, that's related to somebody looking at us in a similar way twenty years ago, but it just triggers something inside us. So often our responses in life are very deeply conditioned, as they are for everybody. And so it's not easy to know what's really going on in ourselves and another person. It's very complex. And when we see that, when we really get a sense of that, there becomes more patience with it. You know, this is patience with this unfolding process. And so there's less demanding. It's just like, you know, looking at a complex problem, whether it be a mathematical problem, something we're working with in our lives, that the more complex it is, we just can't expect to suddenly see it really clearly. And so we give ourselves a bit more space with it. The same with, you know, the emotions that arise as we sit. There could be many different causes and conditions that bring up that mind state. So, you know, not to be so intolerant when anger arises yet again. Having patience with it. Wow, there's really a karmic knot here there's something to be understood here. There's some patterning that is is, being solidified in a way that's leading to suffering. Recognizing and understanding the complexity Really helps us to take these things less personally, whether it's an action from someone else or whether it's within our own mind. The third aspect that helps to strengthen patience is to develop tolerance and when shanti deva speaks of this you know it's not that tightening in relationship or that bearing through what's difficult the quality that comes through in his teachings is that of compassion that of tenderness that of going wow this is suffering and you know it's like if someone's really suffering and we feel that, we don't just walk in and slap them. You know, our hearts soften, open. And when we see this in our own minds, softening when the suffering is evident, we find that when we really connect with basic goodness or The basic desire to be happy that we all have, and just begin to get a taste of how we've been looking for happiness in misguided ways. You know, our hearts just naturally start to open. And this will bring immense tolerance. Someone's insulting us, criticizing us. Earlier in my life, often that would just, (laughs) well, that was a button. (laughs) You know, it it really brought up a lot of aversion, anger, um, intolerance. And it's seen so differently when patience is there. You know, patience will really help us to look at the situation you know, is the person speaking just from a place of suffering? Is there some truth? You know, it will help us to have that bigger lens to look and to see. What can I learn here? It will help us to, you know, if pride is present, to feel the pain of that pride because it helps us to stay steady in the process with challenge, with difficulty. So again, these three ways of strengthening patience to reframe unpleasant experience. This is where we can look to learn, to understand. To recognize the complexity of our lives. This is really tied in with the understanding of karma, which we will be speaking more about. And also the third being to develop tolerance, which is rooted in compassion, the open gentle, and loving heart that can be touched and respond with wisdom. A characteristic of patience is that of acceptance. And this acceptance is not a collapsing or disconnecting, but being able to just see Open and be with what is. Actually, Helen Keller understood this. She said of patience, Everything has its wonders, even darkness and silence. And I learn whatever state I may be in, therein to be content. Someone who did face a lot of darkness. And was able to be patient within all of the challenges that she faced. The function of patience is to endure both the pleasant and the unpleasant. Something that, you know, this level of experience, the pleasant and unpleasant, it's just such knee-jerk cellular responses to move away from the unpleasant, to not want, to want to get rid of, to grasp at the pleasant, which brings its own problems. And so, really learning to endure, to see, to be with. John Ciardi, a Boston poet once said, Patience is the art of caring slowly. No agenda, expectation. We find that patience manifests as tolerance or non opposition, where with patience, we don't feel threatened, and this you know brings about this capacity to be with capacity to be with diversity, uh, to be provoked and by someone, and not just to simply retaliate. We're not seduced by anger, and this I find very interesting: that the proximate cause. For the arising of patience is seeing things as they are. Wisdom. Patience is said to be the supreme purification of body, speech, and mind. It opens the heart to know great compassion, to really. Be able to bear the unbearable but with an openness of heart that is not afraid of being broken. So as we sit here, this quality of patience really quite naturally comes forth when we have an interest in what's happening, when we learn from having agenda and how painful that is, (laughs) when we touch the moments when we're graced by patience, feel the balm of patience, feel the balance that comes into the mind when patience is present, when we feel or know the overtones of this patience, the loving kindness, the compassion, gentle forbearance, and really you know, a sense of humility where You know, the humility to me is that we can't force, we can't control, and but that doesn't mean that we give up. There's a surrender to what is that isn't collapsing, that is the bearing witness. Another teaching from Shantideva, the stream of suffering is cut through by patience. In Buddhist teachings, patience is said to be the highest virtue. And yet, often the learning is difficult. But we can learn by paying attention to both impatience and patience. Out of this, wisdom comes. I'd like to close tonight with a uh, quote from Rainer Rilke. I would like to beg you to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you wouldn't be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now, perhaps then someday far in the future you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. To have patience with it all, all of it, all that's coming up in your experience. Not forcing or demanding, but letting it bring you into that deep inquiry that deep listening, that willingness to be from everything we can learn if we have patience. So let's just sit for a moment. So closing with the chanting of the reflections on the sharing of blessings...